Thank you so much for your gift to Lois and me. I, I confess that it was a shock to me. I did not even think in, in terms of that. And I wanted to know how grateful we are for the privilege that you have given us to serve you uh, in this place. I said to my class I was teaching this morning that I look forward to Sundays. I look forward to being here. I look forward to driving. And someone said, you drive all the way from Salem? And, and I want to scream when I hear that because I know people who live in Eugene and work in Albany. And uh, people who live in, in Salem and work in Portland. And they go through that Wilsonville Drive every afternoon at 4 o'clock. And, and uh, I come, the highway was clear this morning, so I wanted to know how thankful uh, Lois and I are um, for the privilege of uh, Bill Cosby. I don't usually quote him, but he, he said, when I was a young boy, I wonder why, why my father never laughed, and then I became one. <laughs> Being a father in this world is not a very pleasant thing at the hour in which you and I are living. Let me suggest to you something about Father's Day. Father's Day was put together by two women. Amazing when it is the women today that are trying to get rid of it with Me Too and so on. In 1911, it was celebrated by the family of Jane Adams, who initiated the first Father's Day sometime around 1908. It was sustained, and later on it was picked up by someone by the name of uh, Samora, Samora Dodds in 1910. And it was in 1972 before it became official. So the idea of Father's Day is relatively young. And one would wonder why it would be so. Father's Day and the role of fathers is a diminishing thing in our time, and as a result, we have the kind of situations that we have today. Every social study will tell you that one of the main causes of ju juvenile delinquency today in our world, whether it be Canada, Britain, or the United States, is because of the absence of a father. That's not my idea. That's not a religious idea. That's a fact of life. And from Mark chapter 9... I want to draw on three aspects of a father that we see that will help us if we're not fathers to when we become one and if we are fathers to be able to realize the privilege and the responsibility that we have. I want to talk first of all about the pleasure, the pleasure of being a father. And this happens when birth takes place. When a child is born, there's a curious verse of scripture to be found in the book of Genesis chapter 4 and verse 26. Uh, when that happened, something we have in 426 of Genesis that is a really interesting word. It, it says that when Seth was born, men began to call on the name of the Lord. When Seth was born, a son of Adam, 
men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And the idea of calling upon the name of the Lord is, is the Hebrewism for someone who goes public to give thanks for something. So, so what we see here is that when Seth was born, fathers recognized something of the gift of the privilege that God gives to men who become fathers. It's a celebration. And, and many of you as fathers can remember the day when your first child was born. Uh, you know, John Wesley's mother had 19 children. And, and I, I wonder what, what, was hap what happened after number five. <laughs> you know, number one, Heather got all the, 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 the Kodak, Kodak moment when Heather was born. When Christopher was born, he got some. <laughs> Somehow we lose the sense after the first one. You know, it, you know I've been here before. Um, and, and, and that ought not to be. Because birth gives us the sense that God is putting in place the future. That what God is doing, he's using mere human beings to bring into the world children, boy and girl, to be a part of what the future can be because of what a father is supposed to be. In the 18th chapter of Genesis, God is talking about Abraham. And he said, I have chosen Abraham because he will command his children to keep my law. He will command his children. As you have heard before, I was not brought up with my father. He died as a, as a very young man. And, and I was brought up by my mother. And my mother was a diminutive little lady. But I, I jokingly say to people, you know, my mother was never happy after she had me because she had four girls afterwards. I teased them. I teased my sisters. I said, my mother had four problems and two boys. That's just a joke. That's not true. My mother loved her children. But I'm going to tell you what my mother was. My mother was a mother and a father. And I like to say to people, she was not born in America, even though she died here in Chicago, because she used to give us the stripes and we used to see the stars. <laughs> Abraham was going to command his children. And I can remember, I can remember the night my brother, who is older than I, came home a little bit tipsy because it was his 21st birthday. And in my day, you couldn't stay out of your home until you were 21 years old with mother's or father's permission. That's how I was brought up. And my brother came home tipsy, 21. And my mother gave him a beating like you wouldn't believe it. And I can, I can still remember her words. I can remember her words to her, my brother. He said, I buried one, one man and I don't want to bury another. What am I saying, friends, is that there's something tremendously beautiful about becoming a father. 
not only for the sense that you are able to look into the life and see something of the wonders of God, but you're able to look into the face and to see the future as God is seeing it through the birth of a child. Men began to call on the name of the Lord. It might mean more than that, but it doesn't mean less that there was a sense of celebration. And then quickly, not only the birth of a child, but the birthdays of a child. Uh, again, I don't remember having birthdays when I was a young chap. Uh, not until we were in our teens that we, we had our own birthdays. Uh, my, I, my, I, I have to ask my sisters about that, but I don't remember uh, having birthdays. But in the book of Job, chapter 1, the sons of Job used to celebrate their birthdays and they used to invite their sisters. So it seems that Job, because he was a rich man, provided an environment for his children to celebrate their big day, their birthday. Oh my. Last night, Lois and I, yesterday we were in Albany watching our grandson playing basketball. They have summer league, no rest for the weary. <laughs> and uh, we, we were watching him. And, and, and we have been there for all their birthdays. One of the interesting things about being at your grandchildren's birthday, you are invited to the first five. After that, they only want their friends. <laughs> you, pay, you pay the expenses, but they will enjoy it with someone else. Well, here's Job's, Job's brothers, uh, his sons, would invite their sisters. They wanted their sister to celebrate with them their day. That's what the, the, it, it is called. Listen, two things. The benefit of Job's possession was able to provide for his children to celebrate. He was a rich man, but he, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't hold his possession as being his own, he wanted to share it and his family benefited from it. Fathers love to celebrate. You know, I remember when, when my first child, as I said, I did my second because Lois provided uh, tremendous birthday celebrations for our children. I, I used to watch with amazement. Whatever was Christopher's delight, Lois would have his birthday around those things. And I remember... The one thing I could do for my children at their birthdays, and I did it for both Christopher, uh, for Heather and Christopher, when they turned 13, I wrote both of them a letter. And I began my letter this way. Now that you are 13, you're moving into a new phase of life. You're going to experience what you've never experienced before for Heather and for Christopher you will experience temptations as you never have before. And I want you to know that your mother and I are constantly, and we have not changed to this day, praying daily for you. <laughs> Lois and I um, sat down two nights ago watching the Toronto Raptors beat the Warriors. And Christopher is up at Wild Horse. And I said, can you, can, you, can you call Christopher? Can you let him know what has happened? Uh, because up in Wild Horse, it's wild. <laughs> you know, once, once you cross Antelope, you're out of connection with civili uh, civ uh, civilian life. 
And, and sure enough, he was able to respond. And, and the joy that I had that we were able to, to connect, connect with my son, something as simple as sport. But my friends, every time they get older, we've got to recognize that they're entering into a different kind of a world. And that world will include not only you, but other people and other things and other experiences. And we, if we're not ready for that as fathers, we begin to get extremely annoyed at our children. One, one father was so annoyed at his son at university because he wasn't hearing from him. And he wrote him a letter. And he says, their son, I want you to know that your mother and I are getting a divorce. He said, I have been putting up with her for all this time. And uh, he, he got a plane and got home. Got home and the, he saw everything in order. He said, I thought you and mom were getting a divorce. He said, it's the only way I could get a response from you. <laughs> it shouldn't be that way, friends. Job was able to connect with his children so that his children connected with one another as they got older. The benefit of the prayer of his father, Job kept a prayerful vigilance for his children as they got older. And dear friends, you cannot tell me that we can just allow our children to grow up in this world without our prayers following them because even in kindergarten, Children are taught things that you and I did not learn when we were adults. They have become the pawn of the system. And in Toronto, where I'm from, I can tell you that, that children in kindergarten are being taught things, my friends, that, that would make you blush. And what our children need to know as they go I remember one night I called Christopher when he was in university. And I said to him, Christopher, I am not accusing you of anything. But I want you to know that there are certain things that are there for you that you have to really watch. And I want you to know that your mother and I are praying for you. I said, listen to me. And I say this, my friends, because I want you to understand where I'm coming from. My father died from drinking. He was a heavy, heavy drinker, and he died. It killed him at the age 32. And I am told, I don't know how scientifically correct it is, but I'm told that drinking usually miss a generation. And I said, Christopher, you are the generation. And I don't want you to experience what I experienced with my father as one who drank heavily. It can destroy you. Job prayed for his children as they got older because the older they got, my friends, the easier it was for them to forget their childlike faith, their childlike trust, their childlike discipline, their response, and then they would be confronted with things they were never confronted with before. The birthday that causes a father to find pleasure. But let me quickly get to a father's progress. A father's progress. Mark chapter 9, verses 17 to 21. You heard it read by Nick. Here's a father who took his son. And keep that in mind. He took his son. Every time I read that, 
I've got to think. When Christopher was little, when Heather was little, and, and my, I never saw how my children responded to, to the doctor when he gave them a needle. Because Lois always took the kids in to get their needle. This father didn't like to see that. So I would either close my eyes or leave the room. When this man said, my son, this is a father who was concerned for what he was observing for in his son's life. Jesus asked him the question, how long has he been this way? And he said, listen to these words, from infancy, from a child, from a child. In other words, this father started to observe certain behavior in his son that was in, inconsistent with balance. He saw certain things that concerned him. And he wasn't going to just take that lying down. He was there to observe the development of this. I, I love Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 12. Listen to what Proverbs 20 12 says. The seeing eye and the listening ear are both gifts of God. Why? Because we do not see simply with the eyes, we see through the eyes. We can see our children behaving in a certain way, but we must be able to see beyond their behavior. We must see what is behind their behavior. And that can only come, my friends, as you and I, like Job, are spiritually prepared to perceive through our eyes what is causing our children to behave the way they are. Proverbs 22, 6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go. And, and unfortunately, that text has been taken out of context because that text literally reads this way. Train up a child in the way the child is going. Train up, look at what's happening. Do you see, do you see behavior that are concerning? Correct it, correct it by training the child in the way he should go. This father was watching his son. And he was watching this child from infancy, how this thing was taking hold of his son's life. Listen. I think I put it in the perspective for this week, the magazine called The Scientific Magazine, where one professor said that parents have nothing to do with how a child turns out. The DNA does. No matter what parents do, the greatest influence in a child's life is the child's DNA. The Bible says you're wrong. God has placed fathers and mothers in the place where they are able to perceive and they're able to hear. You know, when a kid said, I don't want to go back to school. I don't want to go back to Sunday school. We better hear that something happened that caused them not to want to go back. Well, we took our little girl to take swimming lessons. 
The next, the next week we took her, she would not go. I mean, she screamed and screamed and screamed and screamed. She didn't want to go back. Something happened. You see, where, when we took them, this first um, place to, to learn swimming, the parents didn't get to go in. So we don't know what happened. And she, she never, never wanted to go back until one day she asked, Daddy, can I take swimming? And we took her, and of course we were there. But this was years after. What happened, we don't know. So when we heard that, we know that something happened behind that door that we should be concerned about. The observation of a father. Oh, my dear friends, please listen. If you are a father and the days are past, you are a grandfather. And as a father and a grandfather, learn not only to rejoice with how our children are brought into the world, learn also to observe how they're being brought up, learn to listen, grandfathers, so that you can pray when you see behavior that is, that is not, and I'm not talking about, that's not the way I raised you, boy. That's not what I'm talking about. It is when the grandfather can perceive what is happening. There's a bent, there's a behavior that if it's not corrected, that child could be in trouble later on. And the father must be able to, to say, I have been, been observing. Now, I'll come back to that in a few minutes. So the observation of a father to be able to be perceptive as to what's happening into the life of his child or children. What's the objective? The objective, verse 17. I brought him, I brought him to you. What this father was saying and what we read from this text, that he didn't begin to act when Jesus came. What, he's, what, what we read this text is saying, I have been taking, I've been observing, I've been taking my son to different, but no one could help. And I brought him to you. Because the objective of the father was for the healing and the wholeness of his son. He didn't want his son to live that way for the rest of his life. And somehow he believed that Jesus was able to do something about what was happening. And he, he, he you know, I've heard this, I've heard this, not here, I really haven't heard it here. Parents who are having problems with their children, and then the children become Christians, and I've heard them saying this, I didn't want you to become religious. The answer was there, but I didn't want, see, they want their answer not the answer that God has to give. And when we pray and when we ask God to help us to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, sometimes it is hard. It is difficult. Because what they want is not what we want. What we want might not be what God wants. And then we find ourselves struggling to know how to balance our lives between their desires, my desires, and God's desires. But the objective, I brought my son. Possessive pronoun, my son. This is flesh of my flesh, and this is bone of my bone, and I am concerned about what I'm observing, and I want help from you. And I brought him to you. Thirdly, very quickly, a father's petition. A father's petition. Listen to his confession. 
His confession is in verse 22 of our text. Verse 22. And they came... Maybe that's just not it. Verse 22. It has often thrown him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you, if, if, <laughs> if you can do anything, look at this. Do, take pity on us and help us. I never saw that until I was studying this text this week. The father was hurting because the son was hurting. If you can do anything for us, not for him. Because I'm hurting as I watch my son going through this. And what I need is, is help for us. I am helpless in, my, in myself. Everything I have tried before, none of them has worked. And I'm still hurting not only emotionally, but physically, the condition of my son, the broken heart of a father, the desperation of a father. And he went to Jesus and he said, I brought him. Imagine, imagine the disappointment when he thought the disciples could help and they could not help. Listen, friends, let me suggest something to you. Life is bigger Life is bigger than what I believe. Life is bigger than what I believe. Life is more difficult than what I believe. At the core of life is something very sadistic. Because we live in a fallen world. And because life is bigger than what I believe... And because life has experiences that's deeper than what I believe, I need someone bigger than life, bigger than my experience, to deal with what I'm experiencing. And so he went to Jesus, and he confessed, and he confessed. And Jesus said, your problem is not only in your son, your problem is in yourself. Look at the way... Listen, listen to the way he said to Jesus, if you can do anything. Remember what James chapter 1 said? Any man who goes to God must not go doubting. He must go believing. If you can do anything. And then the father said this. Here's his confession. I believe, help my unbelief. Listen. There are two things that this father is dealing with right here, friends. Two things. He's dealing with what he believes. And what he believes is not making any sense at all. But he's also dealing with his unbelief. That is, his belief is not in Christ. His belief is in beliefs. Like we have faith in faith. I believe. I believe. I believe. And Jesus is saying that true biblical faith has an object. It is not something that, that simply happens. <laughs> I remember when, when the Cubs were waiting for over 100 years before they had a World Series. People in 
Chicago died believing. <laughs> Never saw it. Never saw it. And my friends, I tell you, we've got to, we've got to ask ourselves, do I believe in believing or do I believe in God? With God, all things are possible. But I can only hope that things will be possible by what I believe. Very interesting. Biblical faith is not believing that something can happen. It is believing that God is about to do what I cannot do. Biblical faith. It rests in the power of another, in the person and the existence of another. Let me quickly get to the instruction that Jesus gave. Very important. Jesus said, if we are to pray, this is from Mark 9, 28 and 29. If we are to pray effectively for our children, we must understand the problem. Listen to what he says. When the disciples later on are asking Jesus, how come we could not cast out the, the, the demon? Jesus said, this kind. This kind. You see, every, every child does not have the same kind of problem. For this child, it was, it was a possession of a demon. But my friends... That's not true of every child that's having a problem. And Jesus said this kind. We must know what we are to pray for when we pray. See, see this man said, my son has this problem and I want him cured. Jesus said, you and your son have a problem and both of you need to be cured. See, he thought he was the only one. If you can do anything for us, he said. There are different kinds of causes, and it is possible to bark up the wrong tree at any given time. Several, several years ago, Lois and I were traveling in a place called Collingwood. I don't even know if she remembers this. And Heather was acting up. Oh, she was being, I, I wanted to say, here is, here is your child. And she, was, and she would not eat her food. She would not eat for anything. And, and I, I was brought up, if you don't eat what is before you, <laughs> you give the stripes. And I'm thankful I didn't. Little did I realize when we got her back in the car, she was on the verge of having the flu. That's why she didn't want to eat. How, what a horrible experience it would have been for me if I, if I had beaten her, spanked her, whatever it might be, and then realize you're barking up the wrong tree. We must know what kind it is, friends. This father had to understand the situation. The disciples had to understand the situation that everything, everything is not like everything else. There are different kinds of causes for the problem our children have. Proverbs, I've already called call your attention to Proverbs 22. Train up a child in the way he's going. You train them when you see the way 
they're going, not that they won't get there, but they're taking wrong turns, using wrong means to get there, correct them, discipline them, whatever. I understand somebody had a paint stick over their kitchen uh, door on, with a sign underneath, I need thee every hour. I don't know. We didn't do that, but that's the way some people take care of children. But that's not necessarily the only way. To display some behavior that need parental correction takes parental perception. This kind. What kind? Mrs. Wesley had 19 different kinds that she had to deal with. My mother had six. Six. And I'm telling you now what I said of my, my, my sisters. I teased them today. I was my mother's problem. I can tell you that. If I tell you what I did to my mother, mothers wouldn't want to hear this because they wouldn't want their children to know that the pastor used to be this way. Not only to understand the problem, but to understand the uniqueness of prayer. Listen to what Jesus said. This kind only, only come out of a person by prayer. Only, nothing else. There's no other answer. The, 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 uh, my translation, the NASB says, by anything but prayer. The NIV, uh, NIV only by prayer. This kind can be driven out only by prayer. And friends, I want to use a text today. I've been frightened all week in this text, but it's in the Bible. I call your attention. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7. And I am going to end with this. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is talking about a relationship between a husband and a wife. And in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, 1 to 4, Paul says, Now husbands and wives, be sure that you are, you are treating one another in the most intimate way, in a way that God designs it. And then verse 5 says this, Don't, don't defraud, or don't keep back yourself from your spouse. Don't. Unless it is by mutual consent. By mutual consent. But it's only for a period of time that you might give yourself to fasting and prayer. Paul says the most intimate relationship is not as important as giving that time up to God so that you take to Him the burden you have for your child, the burden you have for your children. That I'm, I'm, I'm going to surrender that. Fasting means to abstain from. Prayer means to have conversation with God. And so Paul said, there, here's, a, here's this spiritual insight that one needs, that there are certain situations in which the most important and the most intimate relationship that I can have with my wife will be overcome by prayer and fasting because what I want more than anything else is for God to heal my son, is for God to heal my daughter, 
is for God to heal my children. And I am willing to sacrifice that time to give it to God by fasting and prayer that I might see God shaping the life of my children. I close with Ecclesiastes 4, 9. Two are better than one because they have a great return for their labor. This kind of labor as found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is the kind of labor, my friends, that Satan cannot bear. Because when a husband and a wife gives up what is important and God-given responsibility to give that back to God in prayer, the devil knows that these people are appealing to the one who can overcome all and any of life's problems. Let us pray. Father, again, we are aware of the times in which we are living. On every continent, in places where some of the old-fashioned ideas are being dismantled, those old-fashioned ideas that brought the world scientists and brought us even the cell phones, all these things are being used now to dismantle the foundation. And Father, I pray for fathers this morning, for grandfathers this morning. If we don't have children, we have grandchildren. And if we're not married, we hope that one day we will. And Father, we spoke to the mothers on Mother's Day, and today it is to fathers. But we pray to God's people because even the wife is included in the father's responsibility. All through the book of Proverbs, it's the teaching of the mother and the instruction of a father. And so I pray that this word will accomplish your purpose. May the devil not be able to snatch any seed from this word, but may the Holy Spirit use it beyond this morning to help us to prepare our children for the, the future. As Psalm 78 says, we want to set up the banner that when they ask the question about the way we live and our belief, we're able to tell them it is because God has set the standard for life that he has called us to live this way and we're living it to the fullest for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.